0: Hey, guys, uh, and welcome back. Welcome back to uh, part three of Napoleon and part six of our uh, package on uh, Napoleonic era and the French Revolution. Um, we're going to finish it off. This is the finale of everything. You guys ready? Um, I'm ready. All right. Henry's ready. I'm ready. Are you Ready? I'm ready. Let's let's uh, let's get into it. I hope everyone else is ready. Here we yeah. go.
1: Part three. Act one. Eyes before stomach. Okay. He names these. I have no idea. I, I, I have I will, great fun. I have great I, fun. No,
0: I understand that. I understand it.
1: September eighteenth of eighteen o seven, Napoleon authorizes his corsairs to seize any cargo ship leading leaving England with merchandise, including U.S. ships. So that's one of the steps that obviously leads to the War of eighteen twelve, albeit not with France but with Britain, because Britain starts impressment. Anyway, yeah. March 17th of 1808, Manuel Godoy, who is the queen's former consort, he had basically finagled himself into a position of power. Godoy is blamed by the Spanish for a worsening economy, uh, French occupation, bread shortages. There's a rebellion at Aranjuez, where the royal family, they had stopped there on their way to Cadiz, which is a southern port city. Uh, where they plan to get passage to America. It's basically like a Spanish flight to Varenne, if you want to think of it like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So rebellion at Aranjuez, that's the city where they're stopped, where Charles IV, the king, is forced to dismiss Manuel Godoy, the the queen's former consort. I think it was like finance minister or some, some, either way, whatever. Napoleon, he wants the Bourbons out of Spain because he wants to be able to enforce his blockade. Portugal, I believe, was also still trading with Britain at the time, and he just wants to ice out Britain from Europe entirely. He wants the naval resources of the Iberian Peninsula, basically control of the seas, both the North Atlantic and the Mediterranean, and and to appear undisputed and indisputable in Western Europe, and so his whole plan is to put his brother joseph on the throne uh joseph was already king of naples and he wants to basically name king of naples and king of spain mm-hmm. however ferdinand of A- asterius who's charles iv's son also hates godoy and wants him gone he's got his own following particularly in Asturias. He's arrested by his father, but found not guilty as an insurgent. And Napoleon, in order to he's playing both sides in order to advance his own interests, obviously. He's assuring both Godoy and Ferdinand that the troops he was sending in were to protect each of their interests. So he's telling Godoy, no, I'm on your side, man. I'm here to protect you. And he's telling Ferdinand, like, No, I totally back you, Ferdinand. Again, fuck Godoy, you know, but meanwhile, it's it's just an occupation so may 2nd and or may 2nd or 3rd i think it's the night of may 2nd and 3rd of 1808 this is the outbreak of the spanish war of the time because uh, there have been several uh, <laughs> a lot of those <laughs> which, which spanish war sir yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of i know i know a lot of 1808 one asshole <laughs> uh, there's a rumor that the 13 year old francisco was about to be taken to bayonne which is like near the border of france and spain is outside the on his way to paris basically they were going to abduct one of the heirs uh, outside the palace in madrid there's this crowd that has assembled and it's all these people watching and francisco the bourbon he starts crying and the spaniards just regular spanish civilians rush the french and the french shoot the spanish and this is this is the beginning of the spanish war September 22nd of 1808, Napoleon, meanwhile, he's got other things on his mind, other other uh business to attend to at this time. He heads to Erfurt in Thuringen. I think that's like what modern Eastern Germany to meet with Tsar Alexander, because they have to like basically resolidify their relationships because things have changed.
0: Yeah.
1: And Nothing really materializes. The relationship had cooled from their their hot hot times on Tislet. Tsar um, Alexander was increasingly wary of Napoleon's presence in Poland and their one sided trade agreement. There's like loads of timber and hemp from the Baltics, just just chilling there. It's like we have product, we just need a market, and Britain's a market, but we can't sell to them because of you, Napoleon, and that's an issue for us. Yeah. Also, Napoleon refuses to allow Tsar Alexander to invade Turkey. And this is another thing that poisons their relationship.
0: Mm.
1: December of 1808 to January of 1809, Sir John Moore is putting up a fight in the northwestern Iberian Peninsula. Napoleon's attempting to like cut off his avenue of retreat to Lisbon. But he has to pass the Sierra de Guadarrama during the winter. And it's very rough. It's very rough on the French army. Moore begins evacuating his troops at Coruna, which is a northern port city in Spain, using the Royal Navy. And Moore dies in the evacuation, but he repels the French assault and it ends up evacuating his men. And it's successful. And he's basically martyred for um, the British. Yeah. So Napoleon takes his forces back to Madrid to mop up. And the reason I bring this up is because if he hadn't have been distracted by Moore's northern assault and evacuation, he could have headed south and really crushed the locus of the rebellion. But because he didn't, another uprising was intimate. And that's just kind of the nature of guerrilla warfare, or like particularly if you're an invader and you have all of these like populist insurgents, you you're just putting out a hundred different fires you're playing whack-a-mole basically and there's no guarantee you can whack every single mole you know yeah april of 1809 there's an uprising in prussia just prussia not germany again the biggest you know eastern german modern uh, there are the reforms of this guy Baron von Stein is the one who's accredited as the instigator, I won't even say leader, of this uprising, this insurgency. Uh, Bavaria, which is modern southeastern Germany, they actually fight with the French against Prussia, even though they both speak German. And so Austria ends up invading Bavaria, and it looks like you're going to have a reopen uh reopened the eastern front basically after napoleon has fought against the austrians and the prussians and the germans so many times before it looks like now he's invaded spain and now you've got this other fire so it's interesting to see how everyone's following european affairs just to know like all right when's the time when we should launch our uprising against yeah. napoleon you know
0: yeah i bavaria from my understanding this is like <sighs> this is a tacit understanding based Bavaria is like super conservative to this day. I think it's also very religious, but I don't mm. know. I don't know if it's Catholic Catholicism. Mm. Um, I just know like nowadays in German, like politics, the Bavarian vote is always going to be for like the more conservative party. Okay. It's also the part of Germany that like Hitler, Hitler loved. No, oh, okay. Bav- Bavaria.
1: yeah, I just know their beers.
0: They got the, that's where that's where all the you know, lot of the, the, the Hitler stuff was, by the lot of the, all the all his homes in Bavaria.
1: Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just know the the sweet amber loggers. That's all I know of Bavaria.
0: Yeah, Nazis love loggers, huh? <laughs> huh? That's weird. Huh? That's weird that you like also like loggers.
1: Huh? I like ambers. I'm going go. It's got nothing to do with my political sentiments. Believe me, it's <laughs> all it's all it's all the all the crisp. Crisp flavors, right? (laughs) Jesus Christ. May of eighteen o nine, you have the Battle of Aspern-Essling, and this is actually a military setback for Napoleon. It's his first real defeat by the Austrians. He was on his way to Vienna, and he has to like cross the Danube. And I think Aspern and Essling are like two cities that are almost like gates to Vienna. Or he had to get through those two before he were to get to Vienna, and he's pushed back. And so there's this island called Lobau on the Danube River, which he fortifies before he recontinues his assault on Vienna. This leads to the Battle of Wagram. And Wagram is very bloody and very close. And it's another one where the French just kind of barely scrape by. And like I said, very bloody in terms of casualties. 32,000 French to thirty-five thousand Austrians so high amount of virtually equal in terms of casualties but French gain uh, they get they get they win the day ultimately mm-hmm. but very high cost
0: I'm always um, one thing I'm interested in I didn't get to like look at is like what type of warfare is this I know it's probably in this Napoleonic era so they're lining up in rows and kind of shooting at each other yeah but like that's what would be my understanding of it but like there's a lot of weird history of like people didn't really fight like that a lot. <laughs> like they didn't line up in rows a lot and shoot at each yeah. other. That was the ideal. Yeah. That was like, but like yeah, but no, it's it's just interesting because it's it's 32, 30, 67,000 people being killed. Yeah. Or killed and wounded in a very in a in the course of a battle. And battles aren't that long, maybe a week just how that happens and like the actual this was
1: just this was just i think two days three at most this is july 10th and 11th you could argue the 9th but 10th and 11th two days to have 67,000 people i don't know if those are all dead but at least may at least maimed
0: (laughs) no machine guns like you don't have a machine gun yet you don't have any of that so how you know, the way I
1: see it, as far as warfare was concerned, you have your infantry, uh-huh. you have your cavalry, and you have your artillery, and artillery being the newest of oh, the three. So and that's, how, that's how Napoleon got his rise, is by taking advantage of the new technology, that being the artillery, and then he knew he knew very well how to deploy it. And that's like a, that's a whole backbone to his rise. We're just talking about kind of the geography and the big political uh-huh. events, not really so much the nitty gritty, but that's one of the things that he exploited and was able to win all of these victories is by like reading up on the artillery manuals and thinking how best to piece this newer, newer technology in next to the cavalry and just the regular old infantry. May to June of 1809, this is when Napoleon is in more or less open conflict with pope pius the seventh he thought austria uh the pope thought austria would win the war and the pope tried to have napoleon excommunicated around this time and so napoleon ordered troops into the kirinau palace and he has the pope arrested on july 6th of 1809 yeah. napoleon arrests the pope
0: yeah 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 because it's it's, it's... They've agreed, they've done their little piece up, and then now you're going behind my back thinking that the Austrians are gonna fucking like he runs Italy, like yeah. he owns Italy, his brother is the king son, or whatever one is the crowned king of Italy. Yes. So, like this is actually just a Pope
1: getting too big for yeah, his I mean uh vestibularies.
0: I mean, I think the, pope, the the Pope would argue. Bigger than vestibularies, but at the same time, the Pope is, <laughs> I might have just made that word up. I don't know. I don't know it's if it's ugly. a real word at all. I think vestibules, Vestibles. vestibule. I don't know. Let's move I on. like vestibularies <laughs> better. I'll be real. I'll be honest. I mean, there's a lot of words that we like better than the words that they are, but they're that's not fair. words. That's true. So okay. that's, that's why true. we don't say them. Yes.
1: But it is like it because it's like, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to arrest the Pope. I don't know if anyone else has ever arrested the Pope. You, not, you have to be some kind of someone to be able to arrest the pope that's all i'm saying i don't know if it's ever happened i'm sure there might be a couple minute instances but nothing like all right i'm arresting the pope just giving that order to the to people who are like all right i need these french commanders you're going to go in there and you're going to arrest the pope and
0: they're just well, also like yeah they're they're also okay. all they're also all enlightenment people, all these like yeah. generals, so they don't really care. Fuck this guy. They do care, but they don't, like, they're all like, I don't really care. Yeah, I fucking, i read about Darwin mm-hmm. or and then like, and now I think I have a better understanding of everything. <laughs> Superior
1: <laughs> understanding than you do. You do a
0: holy boy, you know, yeah. holy man. Yeah. So they're, they're fresh off that. They're still very, yeah. Yeah. So they would, they would walk in there and be like, oh, look at all these robes
1: regular day regular old day you know yeah, yeah. i hope they treated them okay at least i hope you don't any-
0: care if they <laughs> treat the pope correctly i've never seen you give this much credence to
1: you know i'm just saying like you're right but there's there's an element of decorum to be i'm sure i'm sure they were keeping in line with the decorum
0: i don't the I, they wouldn't
1: they wouldn't do anything weird i one, that's all i'm saying
0: one thing you know about me i would love to get fresh with the pope You'd like you want to get fresh with the pope? Get fresh with the pope. Do you uh, know what "get fresh" is a term? term yeah, you phrase. Wanna, you
1: want to? You want to disrobe him of his vestibularies?
0: No, that's okay. It, right? dude, you're trying to make this into a sex thing, and I don't want to do that. That's what it sounded like. Let's dude. move on with the podcast because okay, sure you're trying right. to make it to okay. a sex thing. All right, all right.
1: October fourteenth of eighteen o nine. This is the Treaty of Schönbrunn, where the Austrians pay pay agree to pay reparations. Of 85 million francs, I believe, they limited their army to 150,000. There's more to territorial concessions, and they recognize the Continental System. It's also an assassination attempt, yet another one uh, against Napoleon, two days before the treaty signing. And then there's like you see more percolation of German nationalism because the guy, basically, he's executed. But like his last words before he's executed, he's like, "Yeah, fuck you, Napoleon. Germany rocks." You know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that was that was the gist of like, no. "I've done my duty to my country." And he's like starting. You see, people are starting to think of Germany or Austria that sort of of the as a nation, as a people. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Also around this time, uh, Paris is innovated. You see Napoleon undertakes a series of internal improvements, uh, irrigation, improves their canal system. Economically, Paris starts doing very well, particularly in uh, cotton trade, uh, mechanical and chemical industries, as well as others that emerge around them by necessity. They've got an internal market of about 80 million citizens. So and that's the other thing is that there is definitely a trickle up going on like it would be easy to frame the and it has been framed the continental system as like oh he was trying to integrate all of europe and this predicted the european union and it's like kind of yes maybe in like a very implicit sense
0: yeah you can also be like lebenstrom lebenstrom yeah. yeah it,
1: it, oh, it's predicted in the European Union. Like, yeah, uh, no some key differences. There's you know, some yeah.
0: structural differences to lebenstrom and in the European yeah. Union. Yeah, like
1: <laughs> some important important differences. Yeah, but with the, with the continental system, there's uh, there's you know, and s- same thing you could say with uh, Nazi Germany is that there is definitely like a trickle up. Yeah, they've had that internal market, and they all sort of are all like, oh, we're part of this continental system, but. It was about France, yeah. and then it was about Paris, and then it was about Napoleon. You know, yeah. it's like you also see uh, the emergence th- not only uh, in the year aforementioned, but throughout the Napoleonic era. There's like he's like a pretty masterful, pretty masterful at using propaganda. There's a number of prop- propaganda pieces in visual art. Uh, Jacques Louis David, who was pretty famous, well-known Jacobin, for his time, after he's in prison, he basically converts to Napoleonism, almost. He, he converts he's on Napoleon's side and he's like, as long as you'll give me money to paint, that's what I'm fundamentally about, man. I'm, about, I'm gonna I want paint. And he like raises this new school of painters who are also siding with Napoleon. This gets us into Act 2, Bone in the Throat. Okay. Let's
0: just continue. But I, I, got you've up. I got a theme okay. going. Okay? okay. December of
1: 1809, Napoleon divorces Josephine, and he marries Maria Louise of Austria. And February, two months later, February 1810, uh, there's a Senatus consultum, which is uh, ratified by the decision that Napoleon, as heir of Charlemagne, so he's speaking Mm -hmm. in the name of like the patriarch, the Mm -hmm. OG patriarch of France, who originally bestowed temporal power to the papacy, Mm -hmm. Napoleon abolishes the Vatican's sovereignty over the papal states and annexes them. So this is another kind of usurpation of catholic authority it's very it's very revolutionary france you know what i mean is like first you saw in revolutionary france the annexation of all the church lands and then however many years later like roughly 20 years later napoleon's like no i i also own the papal states Ah, france as an empire france as not a secular empire but france as an empire we don't recognize the the papacy's authority over over the states named after themselves you know they're they're ours
0: well yeah i mean uh, the Jag with the french revolution and then napoleon they see themselves as the heirs of the roman empire like roman of yeah. rome <laughs> and yeah. rome guess what rome was before the before christianity yeah rome takes on christianity as like a new as a yeah. new cloak like so like they see themselves as like yeah no, know francis he sees themselves above yes yeah.
1: i see what you're saying yeah
0: there's like
1: a uh, there's a prior claim that they're appealing to
0: yeah that's their train of thought is like yo i'm this is we are we are the nation or whatever so, i don't know rome this is yeah. the new rome or whatever the fuck that yeah, yeah
1: this is this is fine
0: you know yeah. we don't we recognize
1: this, but we don't recognize the authority so
0: yes, much. We it's still have... under, it's still 1A to yeah. the, the, the Rome or whatever, New Rome or whatever. We,
1: we, we've got the graft, but don't forget who you're grafted to.
0: Yeah. Okay? Yeah.
1: Napoleon, he wants his heir, his son, named King of Rome, and the ability to appoint a few bishops, and the canons are corresponding with the Pope. Pius is saying not to let napoleon name any bishops so there's more friction there there's upper class there's further friction upper class nobility is upset that napoleon is straining france's relationship with the papacy because they want to retain the lands that they had gained basically since the french revolution Uh, the papacy was upset that napoleon had introduced divorce and there's also nationalist pockets throughout the continental system throughout the Napoleonic Empire, uh, Germany, Spain, obviously, is like a total shit show. Uh, Poland, particularly in Germany, though, I think that's because Austria was already consolidated at that time, but particularly Germany and Italy, I should say. Yeah. They're upset over both conscrip- conscription and taxes, also like Holland and Denmark. Uh, merchants from across the continental system are strained under the blockade of Great Britain. 1810 to 1811, the situation in Spain is worsening. There are disagreements over the amount of casualties inflicted by these like uh, guerrilla populist bandito revolutionaries. There's as few as 76,000 French casualties in the Iberian Peninsula during this time, and perhaps as many as 145,000. And it is messy. Let me tell you, they're known to give no quarter. There's garroting, uh, crucifixion, and boiling in oil for the captured French. There's also, you have uh, some sectionalism going on or some factionalism going on with the afranquesados. Those are people who are Spanish citizens who are known to be on the side of the French. And there's like internal war, uh, civil war between the afranquesados and these like bandito revolutionaries. It's also expensive for Great Britain to keep funneling troops into Spain, so their economy is being strained not only by the Continental System blockade, but also the um, the war effort. And it's waffling over Joseph as king because there was eventually they like they change the French Napoleon and the French they change their plan to install Ferdinand which he probably should have done in the first place, because there was this instance where Ferdinand reaches out to Napoleon and says, Hey man, I'd be happy to rule in your, in your name. Yeah. And Napoleon says, No, nah, I'm going to give it to my brother. I'm sorry, dude. And it's kind of like, man, you could have, you could have had it all.
0: This, this sets up that weird part of Mexican history with the Austria with that the uh, this is not this is after the pastry war the second mexican French intervention yeah where where maximilian comes in which I'm thinking yeah. is the son of Napoleon's brother he comes in as a a French Austrian emperor of Mexico yep <laughs> it's a fun time you know what <laughs> what the fuck with yeah, you that's it yeah.
1: That's that's of that. The British General Wellington and the guerrillas under him, because now you've got this integrated unit of like British Spanish uh, are using the terrain in a way that neutralized French artillery and skirmishers. The, The way the image that comes in my head is that the French would know that the the enemy was nearby, but they wouldn't know where. And there was this, you know, it was very like mountainous terrain, particularly in the rural areas or like a lot of hills or whatever. And French would be marching along with all of their artillery and their cavalry. And then they would come to the point where they were beyond the flank of a hill or beyond the cover of a hill or a mountain or a valley or whatever. And the Spanish and British would just, would just rush them entirely before they had a chance to set up. It was just a surprise attack, a gank, as as I would say in the olden days. You know, gank. Eww. Yeah, you would gank them. You know, you hide That's in a real. certain spot, and you wait for the enemy to just show up, and you wait around a little corner, and then once they're there, you just fucking you gank them. You know, boom. Like I, you didn't even have a chance to set up your attack because you got ganked, man. You know, from
0: my, underst- from my understanding, from my understanding, the way you dis the way you neutralize artillery is you just get close. It's yeah. you just, you just, you get incredible, you get incredibly close. You like, you like you're saying, I will say the word gank, but you that's get cool. incredibly close and mm-hmm. like, you just, the combat so close to so where you can't call in the artillery. Um, yeah. But that's, yeah,
1: it, it works, works best at a range. And if you neutralize that range, then it's just like, all right, now you've rounded the corner of this mountain and we've been waiting here for a while and then here, here it comes. Here we are. Boom. You're dead. You got ganked, you know?
0: Uh, no. No. You
1: got to get to ganked. Not
0: get, to not ganked. But let's, no, no.
1: March 20th of 1811, Napoleon's son is born by Marie-Louise. There's further problems with the blockade. Tsar uh, Alexander is stirring up Polish nationalism against France. Uh, Napoleon is arming up Danzig. He wants a strong Poland as a buffer state against Russia. Uh, Russia is increasingly flouting the continental blockade. So that's falling apart. Napoleon, also domestically, I believe, needs a successful war to distract from the failing war in Spain. It's referred mm-hmm. to, it's been referred to as the Spanish ulcer because it's just eating him up from his heel. Yeah. So, May. Of 1812, Napoleon departs Saint Cloud for Dresden, and Alexander securing his fronts. Bernadotte, who like was one of Napoleon's like under generals and kind of had always been fucking with him throughout Napoleon's rise, Napoleon named Bernadotte King of Sweden, mm-hmm. and then Bernadotte went and allied with Alexander. So there's even some, uh, you know, like these internal. These personal divisions, personality disputes between France's top generals are like coming to fruition and working against Napoleon.
0: It's like a weird, uh, they, it's like they go through some type of wormhole uh, in terms of their service in the military. Where like, there were aristocrats before. Most of these people, they come from aristocratic backgrounds. Yeah. And they've always found kind of, they, they're always thinking about how to better themselves and how to create a better standing for their families. And then they go into the military, and it's like all this fucking socialistic brotherhood shit that they're all like big fans of and they all talk up. And then as soon as they get into a position of power or they're like major generals yep. or they get something, they return immediately back to being like, okay, this is really about my. Well, maybe it was always about that, but like it's always about. <laughs> like, yeah i don't know this is interesting to see how they like they're like oh we're generals and then it's like nah, no no, this is still about me making bank for my family fam yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> i'm still trying to build up that nest egg man yeah i'm still in it i'm still in it for me but yeah. when i have to be i'll mobilize against the enemy but yeah i'm gonna take a few paintings
0: and guess guess what it, it's as well, now as the king of sweden it's more it's better for me to align
1: yeah was all czar alexander it's, it's yeah. not per, it is personal but also it's not personal but also it is personal you know thirty thousand austrians and twenty thousand prussians are basically are basically forced to fight for napoleon because he gives another call for some subscri- uh conscription they send secret dispatches to russia saying like hey man we're not happy about this This is not up to us. This is not optional for us. We have no choice. And should an opportunity present itself, we will change teams like immediately. As soon as it happens, because fuck this guy. But for the moment, they've got bayonets at our backs, So we've got to march with them. June 24th of 1812, Napoleon crosses the Naiman River. Naiman River. He's crossing on the way to Vilna in Russia. Uh, and he's got a number of indisciplined troops. That's like a big problem for him during his Russian campaign. They're eating all of their rations and later like collapsing from hunger and exhaustion. And they're, they're facing like muddy roads with polluted wells. Suicides are rampant as well as desertions. It's Things are not looking good on the way into Russia.
0: And you would say the Russian campaign starts in, starts in May, right? Yes, it's a, it's just fucking weird and odd that the the Nazis do the same thing. They started yeah. May of 1941 with Operation Barbosa. And it's like you know that you go you gotta hit that yeah. cold at a certain point, yeah. Man. You know it's the whole point of Russia, like you, didn't you know hit that happened. cold. So all right, but yeah,
1: this guy was your hero, and uh
0: you may is when he started, <laughs> and he got too cold. So why would you need to but yeah, I guess, you
1: thought you thought like, oh, you thought you were bigger than Napoleon. You thought you would that the same shit wouldn't happen to you if you tried to do the same.
0: I don't know the the the, the weather in Russia, but it does seem like April showers. So it's like you can't get through there before the mud yeah. of April dries. April up.
1: showers bring May frosts,
0: and then you know May is oh man, you still really still left <laughs> April 30th. 30, 30.
1: The French Continental Army is around 450,000 to Russia's 160,000. So in terms of numbers, France obviously has the advantage. However, that's not the only thing that counts. Russia is wary to meet Napoleon in open combat. So their plan is to stretch his supply lines as thin as possible and scorch the earth. That way they can they can trim Napoleon's herd before they even meet them in
0: battle. That's the same thing. The same thing. That's, that's the, oh, God damn it, dude. God, dude. Hitler's so fucking stupid. Sorry. So stupid, man.
1: <laughs> like, especially if you're the fucking geek... Not just nerding so out over Napoleon, who's just like, Oh, Napoleon was so great and unifying Europe. I'm gonna do the same thing. But you you don't even bother to learn from his fatal mistakes. Like Napoleon has the has the excuse, it's still pretty stupid, right? Invading Spain was stupid, invading yeah. Russia is still stupid, it's, it's kind of stupider. This also is
0: like syphilis. It also he's at feels least
1: like- not really operating under a precedent. Yeah, you know, he's kind of feeling it out on his own. Hitler's just kind of like ignoring (laughs) some very large pitfalls the exact same thing the exact same pitfalls and he doesn't even give a shit because he's just like i don't know august 16th of 1812 napoleon begins the siege of smolensk there's fighting in the suburbs outside of it the beginning of the siege of the city Uh, It is burned to the ground and the generals (laughs) at this time are encouraging him to winter at Smolensk because it's August. (laughs) It's getting, it's getting cold. They say that they should promise, they should promise Polish independence as a palliative to buy time and kind of neutralize the Polish nationalism that has been stirred by the Russians. Uh, Napoleon he's worried about being away from Paris for too long and basically being deposed while he's away. So he's like, no, we got to we got to wrap up this Russian invasion really quick. Like we used to Mm -hmm. boys, like, you know, pretend that like, you guys remember Italy, right? You guys remember how fast we took Italy. We got to do what we did and just wrap this up really, really quick. So I can, so I can get back home. Okay. 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 Thanks guys
0: napoleon does uh what in uh military history terms is uh, d- uh defined as stepping outside without a jacket on or not checking the weather before you leave yeah <laughs> or, or <laughs> not
1: checking the traffic before you leave yeah
0: just just really poor planning yeah
1: hey, a- this is and then t- and then telling the traffic or the weather like hey this cold thing is not really working for me You know, if you could change the temperature here, that would that would work out for me. Yeah. I don't know if you could change the weather. I don't know if the sun could shine a little brighter so I I could so I could uh, not be so cold. I'm the one who forgot my jacket, but I won't admit
0: that. It's a lot.
1: September 15th to 16th of 1812, Napoleon enters Moscow and it's completely empty. There's a massive amounts of looting going on. It's also burned to the ground at <laughs> at this time i don't have it in here there's like a bunch of rumors as to who lit the fire as well i i think it was like the R- russian army itself i think that's the consensus is that the russian army thought that if they just burned moscow there would be less to loot and also they couldn't stay there so let's just burn moscow yeah that way the French will leave faster and have to have to go home in like the worst of the winter months.
0: This is a scorched earth policy, you know, which yeah, is yeah. what they did in World War II again, is yeah. they, they would, they would, you get to these towns and it's just all burnt out, all the cattle, everything's murdered and killed. It's like, well, yeah, you know, there's no way you can eat. You can't yeah. eat. You got to rely on your supplies on your supply lines. And yeah.
1: I mean, we're not eating, but, but guess what? that means that you're not eating yeah so
0: and we <laughs> i can exist this is my home i can exist here how long can yeah. you stay here in this yeah. cold and with no food and life
1: yeah. that historical like russian doomer cultural death <laughs> which is crazy it's a it's, it's like hey we don't care it's a, it's a life all right it, it's kind of might be a stereotype but also it's worked historically so and i see it repeat so i'm gonna point it out
0: it seems like a constant it really does seem like they have constantly something about that cold man yeah man just makes you like oh i'll live here i'll die it's fine it's fine
1: but fuck you i'm gonna die but fuck you if i die okay that's the vibe i get i'm crazy (laughs) i'll kill us all okay you know, just fuck you. We're going for it. All right. Meanwhile, the Russians under General or I'm sorry. Part of this part of Napoleon's thinking here is that if he just hangs out in Moscow, that Tsar Alexander is just gonna come out and sue for peace. But Tsar Alexander and the Russians generally just know better. They're like, no, let's see if you live this. Let's see if you live through this because your supply lines are thin and you're in hostile territory. And we'll see what happens. The Russians under General Kutuzov, they're reinforced from Finland. So now you've got 215,000 Russians against only 95,000 at this time under Napoleon. He had 450,000, and he's down to 95,000, and he's barely met the enemy in combat. October to December of 1812. This is his winter march, an embarrassing winter march, back through Russia, going back home to France. Uh, Kutusov is either forbearant or hesitant. I'm not sure which. He still doesn't want to engage Napoleon in open combat, but he is following him and harassing him. And there are peasant reprisals against the French on their way home. There's cannibalism within the french army not to mention hypothermia french soldiers are surviving on on horse flesh and what is it the 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 adage that they have about russia that there's two unbeatable generals in russia yeah is general hunger and general winter
0: uh,
1: <laughs> you know and that proves itself right here yeah fortunately we have drones and nukes now so it doesn't really you Know kind of neutralize those two once you once you globalize sufficiently. That's they don't tell you,
0: people don't tell you rock, paper, scissors. Winter, nuclear winter beats winter that's at right. all times.
1: Mm-hmm. There you go, boom! Yeah, boom. there you go. What beats nuclear winter?
0: No, oh, climate change.
1: I'll tell you, oh, climate change. Yeah. I was gonna say, love
0: with well, some pretty sure climate change beats that also. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> I think so.
1: <laughs> all you need is love, man.
0: Not not when that climate change (laughs) drowns you, nigga. (laughs) (laughs) Let's
1: go kumbaya to the sea. (laughs) December 18th to 19th of 1812. This is when Napoleon arrives back at the Tuileries Palace in France. And this is similar to his returning home from Egypt. Not looking good for him. This gets us into Act 3, Swallowed Up. I think the thing,
0: right? We got I I still I want to clarify. He picks. I was going these. with the
1: with the larynx. He picks. You know? these. I wanted to go with with digestive, but also larynx type. Anyway, December eighteen twelve to May of eighteen thirteen, there is a combined Prussian and Russian offensive against Napoleon, backed by Great Britain. Is an armistice signed at Pleschwitz. Uh, Austria agrees to mediate in the dispute against uh, again, between the Prussian Russian backed by the British and the French. And they appoint this guy this Austrian guy, Metternich and Metternich and Napoleon. They're talking at Dresden. Uh, France was to accept their natural frontiers, dissolve the confederation of the Rhine, yeah. free Austria from any military or political uh, political requirements uh, Russia and Prussia both acknowledge Metternich uh, to avoid any backdoor deals, so they're not they're not trying to leave any wiggle room for Napoleon whatsoever. Uh, Russia itself, they want the Duchy of Warsaw dissolved. Austria wants some more Italian territory. Basically, Napoleon was to give up everything he had won since 1796, yeah. and Napoleon also counted on the Emperor of Austria not waging war or not doing anything actively against the husband of his daughter. And he was mistaken clearly in that regard. Mm -hmm. So on October of 1813, you have the battle of Leipzig. There's these high desertions among the Germans and Italians within the grand army. Uh, The Saxon troops entirely turn on him during this battle and uh they're like greeted very warmly by their prussian brothers so again this is one of those moments where you see this emerging german nationalism and germany is now against him relatively unified not really germany proper yet but all the provinces have kind of united against Mm -hmm. him holland declares against him so november of 1813 you've got negotiations uh the natural frontiers are reneged after Napoleon accepts uh, pre-1792 boundaries, he, uh, or, I'm sorry, Napoleon had accepted the, seven, the 1796 boundaries, but he did so too late. And yeah. so at that, you know, Leipzig had just happened and he had just lost. And so they're like, nah, now we're going pre-1792. Like you don't have yeah. as much to bargain with as you did a few months ago. He ends the war in Spain. Uh, Ferdinand is, main, is made king ultimately so he could have saved himself a big headache but again hindsight 2020. January of 1814 the Prussian general Bulo is marching into France itself and Napoleon wants to act as a wedge between the allied armies he doesn't want them to link up and through like February of 1814 the next next few months the French army launches a very spirited defense. I wish we could get into it. We really can't, but it's like, they know the terrain and they're fighting for their homeland and they know the stakes. And so there's this like invigoration of spirit within the French army. They're sometimes inflicting 10 times the amount of casualties on the allies As they are incurring themselves, Uh, it's not enough. However, on March 30th of 1814, there's a battle on the Paris outskirts. It's like right below Montmartre. Uh, It's a French loss, and Joseph and Jerome, both of Napoleon's brothers, are watching from the heights of Montmartre. They authorize the marshals to conclude an armistice in Napoleon's absence. So. The, the gig's up. Yeah. March 31st, very next day, 1814, uh, the Council of the Seine issues a decree encouraging people to denounce Napoleon and petition for restoration of the Bourbon dynasty. And Napoleon still has like 60,000 forces and he tries to march on Paris, but the marshals and the army, they're not moving. They They've realized what Napoleon hasn't quite yet. Talleyrand, who's long been in the employ of the Austrians at this point, he's there, he's in Paris, to welcome Tsar Alexander into the city, and he's there to manipulate the situation while Napoleon is away. Things aren't quite set in stone quite yet. Uh, April 14th of 1814, the Allies are unsure of exactly what to do. Alexander suggests a regency for the King of Rome, that being Napoleon's son. Mm-hmm. Talleyrand pushes for King Louis Eighteenth to be restored. And Alexander thinks that this is going to plunge France into uh, a civil war because yeah. they still have the Jacobin presence. Mm-hmm. On that day, April 14th, Napoleon signs his abdication. He would receive 2 million francs a year and become the Duke of Elba, which is like... A uh, very nice way of saying uh, exiled and imprisoned on an island yeah. off the West, Ita- West Italian coast is where Elba is. And he would just be like, we'll give you money and you can, you can have a nice house. You just can't do anything. You just can't mess with the situation that we're trying to carve up or we're trying to, to decide upon in, in, for Europe, in Europe we're going to dismantle your empire but you'll
0: be duke and we'll give we'll pay you it's like Just a, stay there you know it's like a weird like arist- uh, aristocratic like thing that they do yeah. where they don't like they capture like not even capture like they, they, you guys will fight a war people will die and then you will be like at the end of it be like all right well you know you won that one i mm-hmm. lost that one and uh uh you know you still get 2 million dollars yeah,
1: which, <laughs> castle, which castle you guys picked out for me? You know? Yeah,
0: like it's, 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 I don't know. It's just, it's very strange <laughs> it's when it's like, you should get shot for this. <laughs> you should be killed. You should it's get murdered. Weird,
1: yeah, it's this weird decorum almost. Yeah. R- respect for the enemy where it's like, we'll still make you Duke because respect, you know? Yeah. This is all concluded in the Treaty of Fontainebleau. His Napoleon's wife Marie Louise refuses to follow him into exile. So you know, she was fake after all.
0: She never loved you, and then you threw away the love of your life. You threw away
1: the love of your life because you, you, love because life. you wanted to have a son. When then she turned out to be fake as uh-huh. well. She bore your son, but now you can't see him because yeah, you you have to go into
0: exile. Yeah.
1: Who really won?
0: Uh,
1: Did anybody really win?
0: The the I don't the. Know the the ruralist allies they won't. maybe but they they did they did
1: maybe on paper
0: but Um, i mean in in that paper is the history books that you're looking for a
1: vine i can't find one yeah the paper is
0: the history books that we both read (laughs) so yes
1: napoleon on his way to elba is burned in effigy by a mob on the way from the negotiations he's like nearly killed i think once if not a couple times and so he like traveled in disguise on this the is, way to the ship to get to elba
0: this isn't the young man that like we see in pictures this oh. is like a 40 year old dude chubby. who's a little bit chubby and starting to do it. the going a little bit he's like and it's like tired <laughs> yeah it's rough April
1: to March of 1815, this is the Congress of Vienna, all of the sovereign that allied sovereigns of Europe are repartitioning the continent carving up the Napoleonic Empire on March 13th, the Congress of Vienna issues a declaration of war, not against France, but against Napoleon himself, because few months later he just busts out of elba basically and mm-hmm. in all fairness louis the 18th did fail to pay his stipend yeah and so he gets like back on the march and i think he lands in like southern france and is marching on his way to paris and there's kind of all these cool stories about how he like rallies men to his cause to fight mm-hmm. for him once more and by the 19th of march louis the 18th had fled for ghent Mm -hmm. napoleon arrives at paris in june and like makes all these promises about the future of the nation like oh baby you know it's not gonna be how it was before like i'm so sorry about how it was and i just i just let things get out of hand and i got ahead of myself and i yeah i didn't think about us as much as i should have been i should have been thinking Mm -hmm. more about us and it's not gonna be like that again if you take me back you know Mm -hmm. just sweet talking them.
0: It's a and in, in, in while he's doing this, this the song. Uh, Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. It's just an old '80s hip hop mm. song. It's just playing. I, okay, I dig that. Don't call it this. a comeback.
1: <laughs> I've been here. It's not a comeback.
0: Yeah, been here for I years. So. Line
1: line. I get it. Yeah. There's two hundred thousand in the standing army, with only fifty thousand immediate, with only only fifty thousand immediately available.
0: That means a lot of niggas said yeah, but then didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> Did it show
1: up? Yeah. Just kind of like I'm not so sure, but uh, yeah, those fifty thousand must have been fun. You know, must have been uh, real real sentiments flying around. They the French army on or okay, what is mustered of. I should say like those loyal to napoleon invade belgium they're pursuing the british general wellington um napoleon's dispatching his marshals to prevent wellington from linking up with blucher who i believe is austrian if not prussian i think austrian uh in his pursuit of wellington napoleon ends up around waterloo yeah We don't really have uh, time to get into the details of it, but June 18th of 1815, this is the Battle of Waterloo. and -hmm. Napoleon actually pins down Wellington, but he is misinformed about the arrival of Prussian reinforcements, Prussian, not Austrian, Mm -hmm. under Blucher. And then another point of contention I heard is that there was like this, this pivotal point in the battle where if Napoleon would have thrown in, his like personal Praetorian guard who was like his personal bodyguard. If he would have thrown them into the battle at the right time, yeah, it would have turned the tide and, and maybe we would have seen a different outcome from mm-hmm. Waterloo. He does eventually throw them in, but it was too late at that time. It was like yeah. a, a last attempt. And then another one of his generals, Grouchy, he's, I think was pursuing Blucher and was just like away from waterloo battlefield proper and he just kind of had he just kind of sat tight like he i think he had backup orders to like if you don't find anybody come and rejoin or mm-hmm. it it might have been that the the authors are leaving it up to his intuition that yeah like, yeah no shit, you shouldn't sit tight you should come and rejoin the main party and if you would have then you could have turned the tide but it did not happen. Napoleon loses the Battle of Waterloo. Most famously, this is the end of his reign.
0: Uh, the most of the significant action that happens, like the the significant points of the Battle of Waterloo, take place in a garden. What do they? Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, it's in a garden. Yeah, like it's it's in the garden of a house. Like there's like a mm. This is a lot of significant action takes place like in this garden. There's some house or some shit. Um, but yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah. So gardens showing up again. Through Never discount a fucking garden. That's How right. about that?
1: Don't talk shit about gardener. About no, no, no don't talk shit. Gar- gardeners My neighbors are real dudes. Are gardeners. Our complex is beautiful, I will say.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway. July 24th,
1: 1815... The Bellerophon lands at Torbay, which is the city in in Great Britain. So he's sent to – Napoleon is, you know, imprisoned, taken to Great Britain first. He borns another ship where he is sent into exile and imprisonment at St. Helena. Mm -hmm. You may be wondering.
0: Yeah.
1: As I was wondering, when I read this, when I read this stuff, I didn't look it up until I was, you know, doing the brief. Yeah. Where the hell is St. Helena? I thought it was similar to like Elba, like somewhere off the no. coast, somewhere in the Mediterranean. No. Off, it's in the middle of the South Atlantic.
0: Yeah, they put him, they say
1: the fuck away from anywhere where he could ever have the remotest possibility of doing any kind of shenanigans as what he just tried. It's the same lateral as like Namibia, and South Brazil, and just this remote island smack dab in the middle yeah. of of uh, the South Atlantic. Like, if you want to laugh, if you want to look, look up Elba, mm-hmm. and then look up South, uh, Saint Helena, and you'll see what wh- you'll you'll know exactly what they were thinking.
0: They gave them a shot. To kind of like have something that was kind of close to yeah. like where he was from, yeah. and that you was know, like maybe like you can
1: hang out, come to some of the parties sometimes, you
0: know. Yeah, but then what they gave him, set Helena was like rock. Like it's not even, it's nowhere close to like anything <laughs> he was used to. It's just like a desert, kind of not desert. It's a a rocky ass island in the middle yeah. of the the Atlantic Ocean, but a place that he's still like bringing it back home favorite hobby building gardens he was so gardening yeah gardening Built a massive garden like a pretty big garden on Helena and, and like was one of the things he was doing uh he had just torn up I think it just like he had torn up a garden or done something to his garden right before um mm. you know May 5th 1821 when he yeah. passes from a cancerous ulcer maybe that's what
1: they say that's what the consensus yeah was the historical consensus was for a while he's on saint helena for six years yeah and he's also like devoted to his myth making at that time like writing his memoirs mm-hmm. he tries to learn english she fails
0: he's like he, in the picture they have him like not picture but like the way he's depicted it, it's like it's he's in a fucking gardening hat yeah. like with like and he's like it's not he's not in like formal attire. He's like you know he has a shirt on, but he's like yeah. It's his image of like this old man that like he's like oh this used to be fucking Napoleon dude.
1: Yeah, this was the this was the big end. Now he's yeah. he's the little end. You know? Yeah, he's been decapitalized. Yeah, and he's like you know he's beefing with the British of course, and there's some like other stories of his imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Cancerous ulcer is what the consensus was for a while. A cancer uh, he had an enlarged liver however that's what frank that's the way frank mclinn tells it
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the smoking guns is his enlarged liver which could be indicative of hyper pituitarism which is where he had like a overactive pituitary gland and that's why he gained a bunch of weight toward the end of his life and i like got real bloated and there are some other uh you know they take there's some other. Historians, some other doctors who take the enlarged liver as signs of something else. But the way Frank McGlynn also tells it was that Napoleon, at at around the time of his death, he had all of these symptoms of arsenic poisoning. And that's another popular cause of death that's thrown around for Napoleon, that he was just pissing somebody off.
0: Yeah, could be. Yeah. Maybe. That's yeah, that could also Likely. be a thing. Yeah. The dude who like Yeah. He like that has a lot of enemies across Europe. Yeah, but he's in St. Helena. Okay, dude.
1: but that's the other thing of like you look at those six years and mm. he was like fucking other dudes' wives.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. <laughs> like, like, you've got motive. You but know? but this is this is again 1821. Now we're like we're already in the age of like this is the international world. They can get to you anywhere. Yeah, fair. They, they, this fair. is.
1: <laughs> the borders have broken down.
0: Yeah, you know? they're doing ships now. It's a little bit mm. long, you know, but they can get to you, and get to you. Yeah. Well, well, that has been the life of Napoleon, and that has also been our six part six part series on the French Revolution and the Napoleonic era or the rise and fall of Napoleon. Thank you, Henry, for 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 doing a lot of reading. I'm also going to thank myself because I've read a good amount about this shit, all this all this French shit, good stuff. It's a good time. We thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. You guys can follow us at Hard Fight History on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all those things. You can follow me at Joshua B Stokes on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. You can follow Henry. Where can they follow you at? You can just find me Henry E Price on
1: IG, Henry Price on facebook henry price hard fried history
0: on amazon and follow the business
1: at blush daisy please
0: okay that's the guys you've heard it here we love you we'll see you next time that's right around with another when we have another package um until then we'll see you be safe all right be safe out there Peace. peace